I'm Mrs. Cleaver. From Television City in Hollywood. Boy, the way Glenn Miller plays. We can rebuild him. We have the technology. I know Nanu, Nanu. Baby, you're the great. Here comes the judge. It's more cowbell. Matt Basher. There's anything wrong with that. And now for something completely different. There's no business like show business like no business I know. Everything about it is appealing. Everything the traffic will allow. Nowhere could you get that happy feeling when you are stealing that extra bow. Thank you, Ethel Merman. This is Where Hollywood Hides, podcast number seven. I'm Bob McCullough. And this is Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And here we are, lucky number seven. I hope so. Yeah, well. This has been an exciting week. Uh, you know, the Academy Awards has been announced. And um, and you're a little depressed. I'm so disappointed. You know, uh, Bob and I have the opportunity, as a few others in the business to see every film nominated. And there was a lot of good films, but uh, the movie Argo was a good film. And uh, Ben Affleck, uh, that was his film. And he got, that film got voted for best actor and best picture, but not best director. And Ben directed, and he got really snubbed. That's that's, very unusual. uh, That's incredible to me, how a guy can put a movie together like that, star in it, the movie's really good, and he's not nominated. But I, I, you know, nothing against Steven Spielberg, but please, a, a, a bedroom drama about Abraham Lincoln, basically. No, but putting that aside, yeah, it's very unusual to have a film be nominated for best actor, best picture, and the director not be nominated. The director is a pivotal, monumental player <laughs> right. when you're making a film there is the director who calls all the shots so very disappointing i'm not saying argo is the best picture do you think it has a shot at being being best picture? no not at all not at all but uh spielberg's lincoln got nominated 12 times uh i think daniel day lewis was incredible i'm not sure well i can tell you it wasn't my favorite picture i thought it was kind of boring i thought i was back in high school u.s history on a rainy day where they make you watch a movie about Abraham Lincoln. Anyway, it just reminded me, we've discussed this in our past podcast, I feel that the Academy is very hard on actors who seem to have it all, uh, whether it's looks it's looks and talent. Oh, you're talking about the, the Tom Cruise syndrome. Well, I'm not comparing Tom Cruise to Daniel Day-Lewis, but I know that uh, in terms of being nominated, Tom Cruise has, I think, been nominated once, certainly never won. Um, Ben Affleck, uh, I just, blows my mind he wasn't nominated for Best Director. So what you're saying is you think the Academy looks at these guys and says, they're such superstars, they have it all going for them, they don't really need to be Best Director, Best Picture, but they just, we can overlook them because their careers are so phenomenal. 
I'm not sure. If I was on the Academy, I would do things differently. But anyway. Well, the same thing happened to Kirk Douglas for decades. I mean, the guy never won an Academy Award. And he was in so many good pictures. Oh, gosh. He really was. Anyway, uh, it's going to be a big week for that. Um, We're hoping to do a podcast regarding the Academy Awards, and uh, I hope you stay tuned for that. And also, a lot of news about um, Oprah Winfrey, who is a neighbor of Montecito of us. What's she up to? Uh, Well, she's um, going to be interviewing Lance Armstrong. Uh, he's going to be talking about, well, they say he's going to be answering the questions candidly uh, during his interview about his doping. Um, mm. He also said it he's going to make a limited apology using enhancing drugs. So I'm not sure what that means. So in other words, they're just not getting off this guy's back. I mean, the guy hasn't been in the Tour de France in a number of years, but they keep trying to crucify him for... For being the blood doper? Anyway, I think he's going to kind of apologize for it. Oh, I think and... it's, if you don't mind, I think it's ridiculous. I mean, every guy he competed against was blood doping and taking whatever performance enhancement drugs he was taking, and he still won. But he's the one that won, so yeah. uh, he, I think they're making him an example well, that's of that. That's ridiculous. Well, I, I hope it's not hurting his pocketbook, you know? I mean, the guy, I know he's lost a lot of endorsements, right? Yeah, he has. Uh, they say he's worth $100 million, so I'm not too worried about him. Anyway, l- let me tell you about a story about Summerland. Yeah. Uh, we were once walking in Summerland, and do you remember uh, we saw him working out on those hills? Yeah, yeah. He was running up the hills. You and I were having trouble walking up. I mean, right, Summer- right. Summerland's hills are the steepest outside of San Francisco. Right, and you were on a bike ride, and... Was, uh, didn't he say something to you well, while he passed you? Yeah, well, I, I used to ride bikes a lot, and I was riding over in Santa Ynez Valley one day thinking I was Mr. Biker, and suddenly about 40 guys passed me in a gust of wind, and the last guy in the peloton, which is the pack, uh, looks over at me, slows down, and is Lance Armstrong, and I'm like, well, huh, like that, and he points at me like, you need to move over, buddy, <laughs> and then he keeps pedaling on. So that was my momentary contact with bicycling greatness. Hey, uh, Hugh Hefner got married. You're kidding. Uh, December 31st. Happy New Year. Oh, my God. He married a Crystal Harris. And how old is she? She's old. She's 30. Whoa. He's he's going after cougars, huh? He's got to be in his 80s, right? Something like that. Something like that. I'm not sure why uh, he would marry somebody, to be honest with you, at the stage of his yeah, life? Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. What's in it for him? Kind of I don't know. I think the whole thing is kind of sad. Well, the little blue pill works wonders, I guess, but... Do you really think they have sex? I hope not. I don't know. Uh, I'm not I don't sure. Wanna, I don't want to picture that for sure. Let me ask you, every guy, maybe I should ask an 80-year-old guy, do you guys still think of sex at 80 years old? Yes. The answer is, I'm not 80, but the answer would be yes. Wow. For sure. Yeah. Anyway. Well, it shows you he has faith in the institution, so go for it. I I don't give him a lot of hope with the odds of that succeeding. This has nothing to do with show business, Uh but it's in front of me, and uh, we're big Laker fans. Sure. The Lakers have been doing so miserably. I feel so bad for them. Well, it's the year of the Clippers. Did you hear what Kobe said about the Lakers this year? Somebody asked him, how come you guys are losing so many games? He said, because we're old. Wow. So how old is he? Well, he's like 35, so that's he's, old. He's been at it a long time. Anyway, the reason I bring this up is because uh, Phil Jackson is engaged to Jeannie Buss. 
Well, good for him. He's I think, fin- finally pulling the trigger on I that. I think the fact that he no longer coaches the Lakers, maybe it's... Uh, no, no conflict of interest anymore. Gotten better for yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I also wanted to bring up. Uh, there's a Loretta Young exhibit at the Hollywood Museum. It's in the historic Max Factor building. I always like to bring these things up because it is old Hollywood. Uh, last year they had a Marilyn Monroe exhibit. Uh, it's co-sponsored by the Hollywood Reporter, and they usually do a really good job. And um, I think it's a fun thing to go to. It's started January 9th, and it's going to end on the 28th of April. So if you're ever up around Hollywood and you want to go through that insanity, that'd be a good good thing to go see or take a distant relative. And Very cool. I wonder if they're going to have her staircase where she used to walk down with her twirling pleated dress. I'm not sure. Nobody, I, nobody can make an entrance like Loretta Young. I know they're going to have her wax figure, so that'll be a trip. I wonder if they'll have her figure kneeling and genuflecting like she forced me to do i'm not sure well we'll we'll, i think we should just go to make sure that isn't there that'll be fun that'd be fun listen i I do want to say uh before we go on today's podcast uh is brought to you by a new sponsor uh audible.com has joined where hollywood hides and they're offering a free audiobook which you can download again for free it's super simple just go to uh, audibletrial.com slash, forward slash where Hollywood hides. That's www.audible, A-U-D-I-B-L-E, trial, T-R-I-A-L, dot com forward slash where Hollywood hides. And you'll find over 100,000 book titles to choose from. Uh, and you can download those for your iPhone, your Android, your Kindle, your MP3, all kinds of things. And it's a good deal. It's free. And we're happy to have them on board. So uh, we're going to talk about Bionic Woman. Yeah. Uh, when I was at Universal City Studios as a location manager, I sold my first story idea to Six Million Dollar Man. And Six Million Dollar Man became such a hit that um, they were thinking about a spinoff and they did kind of a test run on a two-hour show. They did a two-hour episode, didn't they? Yeah. And it was called Bionic Woman. And let's set this up. Um, Steve Austin... In one of the in, in the series, went back home to Ojai right. to see his mother. Uh, he was going to buy a ranch, I guess, for his mother, and he rekindled uh, an old friendship. And that woman was called Jamie Summers, and uh, they went out on a date. They decided to go skydiving. She was a tennis player in Ojai, or something. a tennis pro. Yeah, and they went skydiving, and she had a horrible accident in the episode. And she was near death, and he called Oscar Goldman, who had fixed him up. And uh, they performed surgery on her. They did a surgery implant. They gave her super hearing. That was in the right ear. They strengthened her right arm. Uh, They gave her stronger legs, like Steve. Mm -hmm. Uh, She'd go 60 to 70 miles an hour. And... um, they decided it was such a hit, I guess. They well, yeah, gave be, her her own show. Yeah, the, they were like the bionic couple. And ABC, uh, the ratings on the two-hour special were such a big deal that they spun it off into uh, a separate series. The Bionic Woman became just as big a hit as Six Million Dollar Man. Uh, interesting uh, note, Universal had uh, Lindsay Wagner under a player contract, a seven-year contract, and she had... Uh, appeared as a guest star in a number of the series that they had on the lot at the time. And um, when she became such a big deal, they realized 
They only had one year on her contract, and the renegotiations were, well, the stuff of uh, trade paper fodder, put it that way. You know what they said is um, it cost $6 million to fix uh, Steve Austin and make him the $6 million man. Uh-huh. They said it would have only cost like 4 four to $5 million for her because the parts were smaller because she was a woman. Oh Isn't my, that funny? That is funny. Smaller parts, less money. Right. Today, if if they had a bionic rebuild, it would probably be $6 million just for the cosmetic surgery. Right. You know? Right. Uh, speaking of which, uh, when Lindsay came back for the second season and had her contract renegotiated, uh, the studio bought her a new car as kind of an enticement. They bought her a British racing green Ford Mustang, kind of a hot rod. My mom had a Mustang. Really? Yeah. What color? Pink. 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 I see. Well, not quite British racing. That kind of explains what my mom was about. Your mom was incredible. Uh, So Lindsay took her Mustang out and promptly wrapped it around a phone pole. And uh, the accident was so severe that she was hospitalized for quite some time, had some facial injuries, uh, and ultimately recovered. And uh, looked fine, but we had to suspend production for a while and shoot around her. It was it was a very worrisome time, but I think the studio learned something. When you have a series lead you don't want to replace, don't be giving them a hot rod. But uh, the show became a very big deal, uh, such a big deal that uh, second season they were bringing in writers from Six Million Dollar Man, and it was a very difficult show to break in on, but I had kind of an inside track being the location manager. And I became friendly with Ken Johnson, who was the writer-producer, who knew I wanted to write. And at at a certain point in time, he allowed me to uh, develop a script, which became one of the most watched episodes of the entire series, called In This Corner, Jamie Summers. And to this day, we're still enjoying those residual checks. Yeah, the show's kind of a lot of fun. I really did it as a little bit of a hoot, uh, knowing that, uh, that Charlie's Angels had taken off as a jiggle show, having girls in bikinis was kind of a big deal. So I wanted to get Jamie Summers in something other than a, you know, a, a flight suit. Did uh, they ever um, consider Farrah Fawcett, who was Lee Majors's wife at the time? You know, I believe they did, but her show had just debuted and no way was Aaron Spelling letting her out of Charlie's Angels. They were competing, but on the same network. And uh, I don't, I'm not sure Lee would have been in favor of that himself because... He kind of wanted his professional distance from his wife's career. Yeah, speaking about Fair Fawcett, I was listening to Podcast 6. Yeah. You know how we do to sure. see where we can improve. And um, I noticed that you were talking when you were talking about Fair Fawcett, you went on and on and on about Fair Fawcett. And I have a question for you. Okay. And you can be truthful. That's Just me. between you and I. Okay. Ha-ha. Right. Nobody's listening. Um, did you ever want to hit on her? Did I want to hit on her? Uh, the reality is I was working for the studio and I was working on a show that her husband was the star of and, and Lee Majors had been very kind to me. We were kind of we were very friendly. Uh, I spent time with him on location. And the answer is if she hadn't been married to him, I certainly would have. Yes. Uh, because she was just she was incredibly attractive, uh, and I think any man would have in the back of his mind the thought. So the answer is, yes, I wanted to hit on her, but there was not the right opportunity. That's a perfectly phrased answer. Yes, I wish I thought of that answer. Right, it would have been shorter. Okay, <laughs> right. moving along. Yeah, so 
so Bionic Woman was a big opportunity for me. Uh, I wrote the show in this corner, Jamie, Jamie Summers, featuring Lindsay Wagner as a lady wrestler of all things. And it was a little bit of a stretch for Lindsay Wagner, who, as I said, was kind of a serious actress and not really a She must have hated it. I'm sure she did. She wasn't really a stunt woman. And, well, uh, you don't have to be a stunt woman to be an no, actress. No, no, no. She wasn't like this, you know, a physical actress or you know, a gymnast or anything. So they, we had to double her a lot for that episode. But it did become a very highly rated episode. Um, it kind of played up my, my youthful fascination with the, the opera of professional wrestling, and that's in quotes. Uh, I had spent some time in college hanging out at the Olympic Auditorium watching guys like Sky High Lee and Roddy Piper, Tricky Ricky Star, and it was all theater, which I enjoyed immensely and wanted to transpose that into uh, the Bionic Woman, and we succeeded at that. Which was- You must have had a thing about wrestlers because later on in our podcast, uh, you had uh, pitched and sold a pilot regarding wrestlers, right. and that was that took us to um, overseas, didn't it? No, World Worldwide Wrestling. Oh, Federation, that's right, that's right. We we happened to stay in in the United States, and it was quite. Oh, we we got some news overseas. That's right, what it was. Right. Anyway, we'll get to that in another right. podcast. But yes, wrestling has always fascinated me because it's such theater. Uh, it's transparently fake, and everybody seems to set that aside and it's suspension of disbelief kind of a thing. So anyway, that episode was fun to write. Uh, became kind of a big deal, and it gave me the opportunity to write a second episode for Bionic Woman. Uh, the title of that was Jamie and the King, where the character of Jamie Summers is assigned to be a shadow bodyguard for some uh, Arabian prince. Well, before we get into that, sure. I just wanted to remind our growing audience and listeners, please don't forget to check out our website at www.wherehollywoodhides.com for show notes and we have photos and we have all the latest showbiz news and then you click on our amazon banners and that'll take you directly to the world's biggest online shopping mall i love shopping there because i don't have to get in my car or put my makeup on or do anything of that anyway and whatever you're looking for they have books movies pet supplies it's on amazon.com and the links at wherehollywoodhides.com are, is the, really the quickest way to do your shopping. So you'll be glad you did it, and uh, we'll be thrilled that you did too. Absolutely, absolutely. So the second episode I wrote for Bionic Woman, Jamie and the King, um, because I was still the location manager, even though it was my script, I'm out knocking on doors looking for the place to shoot as the palace, the prince's palace. And I found this house out in Pasadena, knocked on the door, and I had my What little- do you mean you found the house? Well, I Were was, they on a list of location no. houses that movie sets no, use? No, no. That's been kind of a new phenomenon where agencies represent properties. But back when I was a location manager, um, I had a book of Universal tour tickets, and I actually knocked on people's doors and asked permission, could we shoot a movie here? And in this, this instance, the guy that opened the door uh, was an ophthalmologist, a very nice guy, invited me in, and we talked. Turns out he's an amateur actor, and he would let us shoot at his house if he could be in the episode. So ultimately, I got him cast as one of the palace guards. But while I was there, a quick story about kind of the music business and how things happen. I was, uh, we were looking at the contract uh, for him to sign to let us shoot there, and a young. And man, didn't you hear some rock and roll music? Uh, I heard this incredible rock and roll music coming from the basement of the house. And so he and I are talking, and in walks this young guy with long, blonde, curly hair. Who is his son? His son. He introduces me. 
His name was David. He says, this is David. Hi, David. David Roth. David Roth. And David is having a bowl of Cheerios, and we're talking. And another guy walks in, and his name introduces himself. Hi, I'm Ed. And turns out it's Van Eddie, Halen. Eddie Van Halen. And David Lee Roth and Eddie Van Halen and his brother were rehearsing in the basement of this house. This was before Van Halen was really huge. Before they broke. Before right. he, nobody knew who they were. They were, they hadn't really happened yet. And as it turns out, several months later, after we shot the episode, we get a call from Dr. Roth, the ophthalmologist, father of David Roth. Hey, would you like to go to a show? And we said, a concert, Bob. Well, we a thought, concert. Yeah, but we thought it's going to be like a little club or something. And they send a limo for us. You remember that night? I do. We went down to the L.A. Coliseum and we were ushered backstage. And there are sixty to 70,000 people out in the audience. And we're sitting there back there kind of BSing. With, with all the groupies. We're with all the groupies. And we're kind of BSing with David Lee Roth. It was quite a, quite a hoot. He was, he's quite a character. Obviously, uh, very well rehearsed. Uh, he was swigging. There were photographers backstage, and he was swigging out of a Jack Daniels bottle. And I kind of took him aside and I said, David, what's the deal? How are you going to go perform if you're drinking Jack Daniels? And he gave me a sip out of the bottle, and it was iced tea. Now, I don't believe that story because you would not take a sip off of somebody else's bottle. It's a true story, and that's how I know it was iced tea. And well, he told you it was iced yeah, tea. Yeah, yeah, and it was all performance. It was all performance. They were a very well-organized, fully professional operation by that point, and nothing was left to chance. Shall I tell the M&M story real quickly? Sure. The backstage, there was. they always have food and drinks and refreshments backstage for the band and all the groupies, and they had a bowl of M&Ms, and in the bowl of M&Ms, there was never a brown M&M. And the story there is that in their contract, at every venue, Dave, uh, Van Halen spec- specified there were to be no brown M&Ms. And David Lee Roth, the first thing he would do is walk backstage, look at the bowl, and if he saw a brown M&M, the show would be canceled. Because deep in the contract, it called for zero brown M&Ms, which proved to them that the contract had been read and every little detail had been taken care of, including the safety issues, the pyrotechnic issues, the things that can go wrong suddenly and create absolute chaos. Interesting. Yeah, so they were fully professional guys. I was I was very much impressed by them. Just as I was impressed uh, on many Universal shows, they had so many actors who went on to later real fame uh, and notoriety. Uh, in that in that Bionic Woman episode uh, featuring David Lee Roth's father uh, was an actor whom I had seen years before working on Mission Impossible. I didn't really know who he was at that time. Uh, he was also on a Mannix episode, I believe. And then I'm watching a movie last week, and I recognized uh, the same actor. And Robert Loggia played in Jamie uh, in The Bionic Woman and went on to be in Scarface, Officer and a Gentleman, you know, Pritzi's Honor. Uh, I think he was in Independence Day with Will Smith. Guy's been in so many movies. He was really good in Scarface. Unbelievably threatening, yeah. Right. Know. So he, but he's the kind of actor who can do just about anything. So there he was, back in the day, playing uh, some kind of Arabian uh, magistrate in *Bionic Woman* of all things. So what's what's interesting about the career of being a writer in television and film is you come across the same people over and over, particularly those who are talented 
and make real careers out of it. I mean, Robert Loge has been working for 40, 50 Forever. years. Forever. Yeah, 40, 50 years. And it's, he's the kind of guy who disappears into the roles. You, you always say, who is that guy? I've seen that guy before without really knowing his name. Right. Uh, and he, he's always good in everything yep, he does. Yep, yeah, he's always really centered. So So you fo- sold two scripts. That makes your third script that you've sold. Uh, yes, two scripts and one story. Mm-hmm. I sold a story to Six Mill, right? Any any interest in getting an agent by that time? Well, at that by then I'm starting to realize uh, there may be something in this for me as a real career. And next week uh, on the next podcast, I'll describe exactly how I got that agent. And you know he's still working. Maybe we'll be able to get him to come on, be interviewed on the podcast. That'd be fun. Well, we have our wish list yeah, that we're going to have yeah. to work down. After we get through with uh, the uh, first, I'd say, 12 podcasts of talking about the shows that you've worked on, and then we'll go on to the actors and stuff. And um, Well, in, in, in the interim, we're going to, I think, uh, next week or the week after that, we're going to talk some more about the Academy Awards. And um, the People's Choice Awards just uh, took place, and I think this weekend, or is it next weekend, uh, Golden, uh, today, the Golden Globes. The Golden Globes, yeah. Yeah, that'll right, be interesting. Right. And that'll be an indicator of uh, Real Academy Award power, won't it? Well, I guess. I guess. It uh, depends. It's It swings up and down. You're just, you're just so bummed out about Ben Affleck, aren't you? I just think <laughs> I just think he deserves a nomination for Best Director. But there was a lot of disappointed people in uh, this year's Academy's uh, nominations. And um, so we'll see who wins and we'll talk about it. And before we sign off, here's another word from our sponsor. Hi, do you want to buy some great books and toys for your kids and grandkids? Yeah. Just go to www.wherehollywoodhides.com and click on the Amazon banner. I want them toy too. Yeah. Hi, this is Suzanne again. Just want to thank you for listening to podcast number seven. Want to give some kudos to Chance McCullough for being our audio engineer. Without him, none of this would happen. And we'll see you next week. This is Bob McCullough. And Suzanne Herrera McCullough. And we're Hollywood Hides. See you next time. Bye. Chillicothes and Paducahs with their bazookas to get their names up in lights. All armed with photos from local rotos with their hair in ribbons and legs in tights. Hooray for Hollywood. You have no way of knowing who You'll be another Papa Dion, your name and me on. If you get lucky, you could. Yes, buddy, you'll arrive if you can top his fire. Hooray for Hollywood. Hooray for Oh!
Hooray for Hollywood! 